episode of the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I am Alex. I'm Tim. And I'm Nick. Today we're going to be talking about season one of HBO's True Detective, which is uh, directed, all eight episodes were directed by Kerry Fukunaga. All eight episodes were written by Nick Pizzolato. And, um... Pizzolato. Pizzolato! So, this show popped up on HBO, uh, I think back in January, early February, Must have been January. It's only eight episodes. And uh, synopsis on IMDb says, The lives of two detectives, Rust Cole and Martin Hart, become entangled during a 17-year hunt for a serial killer in Louisiana. So, um, I think the main uh, attractor for this, I remember seeing a commercial way back uh, around Game of Thrones Season 3 time airing, um, seeing a commercial that basically looked a lot like the intro to the show. I think without the music, but it was basically here's Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson in an HBO series, which I think is a pretty big draw. It's something like there's legitimate high profile actors that are willing to do a series on HBO. So um, that's kind of one of the main draws for me at the very least. And then on top of that, you know, detective stuff tends to be pretty sweet. I like Seven. I like Zodiac. I like all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't know. Where do we want to start? I can... Tim, I what, can, what, what are your thoughts you to, on season one of True Detective? Season one of... Non, non-spoilery non-spoilery thoughts. Non-spoilery thoughts. Yeah, it was, I always throw in the line, like, oh, I'm going to spoil something. Like, if you go back and listen to every podcast, it's in there. <laughs> Tim gets nervous. Yeah, and <laughs> I just start spoiling it anyway. But, um, no, I loved it. I thought it was... I, I was hooked from, I mean, the first episode... Starts out, and like you, I saw the commercial, mm-hmm. the ad for it, and I wanted to watch it because I let, I'm a fan of both McConaughey and Harrelson. Um, I didn't know much. I mean, the guy, he's a novelist, right? Nick Pizzolano. Yeah, yep. Yeah, he's a novelist, so, and he kind of, I mean, I don't think he's done any TV work in the past, but one of the draws to me was just the advertisement, and then taking place in, like, the backwoods of Louisiana. Louisiana yeah. is a fascinating place to me. Totally. Like, it's just so, I mean... It's really great that they've gotten the tax incentives over there because it's such a different looking part of the country it's, in the first it, place. And it's so, yeah, in the backwoods and then even like, well, Treme is another one I think of on HBO. Yeah. It's just an amazing place to look at. And so that kind of drew me in because I'm always going to, yeah, be interested in something like that. But I mean, the first episode hooked me just because of everything it throws at you. I, yeah. I'll be honest. I actually preferred the first half of it to the second half, and that's no fault of the second half. The second half of the series is really good, but the first half is where you get into like the deeper, like the philosophical like yeah. meanings behind every game, and that's what drew me in on that first episode, and that's what I really liked about the show, and it continues through there. And the detective, the mystery, I don't even know if I call it a mystery as much as it is just a story of them tracking someone down. And, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, that's good, too, so, yeah, I'm a... I, it's one of my favorite shows in a while, I think, so. I don't watch a lot of TV, though. Yeah. I, uh, for every true detective, there's like 90 Rizzoli and Isles. <laughs> that's the show I picked, because it was on this one. But, like, so I'm not a big fan, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but. No, I mean, I, this is, uh, it was interesting. I was listen, I was reading an article the other day that was talking about, uh, oh, it was a sh- Oh, 
they were talking about anthology series and American Horror Story, and they were comparing American Horror Story and True Detective. Right. Because True Detective has been stated from the get-go that it would be an anthology series. Whereas American Horror Story, it was not revealed until the day after the season one finale that it was going to be an anthology. Right. Ooh, I was hoping you were going to say until the season two premiere, and everyone was like, what? No, that, <laughs> honestly, that might have been a cooler way to do it. That but the article was talking about how um, American Horror Story has kind of failed to... I, the show's still going strong, as far as I know. I think they're I think probably going to be gearing up for a season four at some point soon. Right. But... Um, True Detective has this weird permeating quality about it that it has kind of grown, it has become part of the collective conscience and there's a lot of people out talking about it yeah. and they feel as though it has worth in talking about. And uh, American Horror Story somehow kind of avoided that and did not quite, like, because uh, people had expectations for it through the first season that were then squashed by the idea that it's going to be an anthology that, you know... It's interesting yeah. talking about True Detective not only with the content of the first season, but also being like, what does this mean as an anthology series? And we can we can get into that a little bit later on. Yeah, but, but and to be fair to American Horror Story, which I've never watched and don't really feel the need to be fair to it. But <laughs> no, no, like I think they're going for different things. Totally, too. like American totally. Horror Story is just going to be a schlocky like horror anthology. Like that's kind of what, True Detective is not doing that. True Detective yeah. is telling a horror story in it's a very human horror. That's story. About, yeah, about the horrors of being a human. Basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. horrors of existing. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. All right, Nick, what'd you feel about season one of True Detective? Uh, I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. Top to bottom. After all the urging that we did. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it was something I always was really interested in. Yeah. Like, from the get go, I was like, this sounds really cool because I also like true crime stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, all the influences you've cited. But it, it did have a cool look to it. And yeah. I, I loved the idea that they took these two A listers. And had the story spanning 17 years. I was really curious to see where it went. And then my f- when the pilot aired, or not the pilot, the first episode, I guess, uh, a friend of mine kind of summed it up for me, kind of what happened a little bit. And he was talking about McConaughey's character in the present. Yeah. Contrasted with I think the that, past. And that, I might, like, that might have been me. That no, might have no, been. No, okay. Guy. I think I did talk about that on the podcast, though. He went into a little more detail, like some of the mm-hmm. lines that were said and just kind of his, his thing. And he, he talked about, like, the... There's my day off. I start drinking at noon. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I was like, I gotta see this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it quickly quickly sucked me in, and um, I really love. I'll talk about it more later. But I like that. I think this is my personal hypothesis about the show, or one of my theories. But I think there's a much bigger picture. There's a bigger story being told. But the show does a great job of avoiding the temptation to get too big. Yeah, it focuses on a relatively self-contained small story over a big span of time, which is really cool. And uh, I applaud them for saying that this, this story is closed, that we most likely will never see these characters again. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it ends in a way, and I, I like that they're not going to try to like reinsert themselves into a period, a, a timeline in between in the story and try to explain what happened then. I think that's great. I think yeah. the, the story of the characters is exists on its own perfectly. And I, I'm really annoyed with the idea that everybody seems to just buy into that we need to explore every facet of a character's life and we need to explain how they got there and let's make sequels where are they now type thing like the the i love when a story just cuts in as late as possible and cuts out as early as possible and like that's this is the story we're telling you the little piece and it does a great job of uh of doing that despite the fact that it does span almost two decades um i do agree with what tim said i think the first half of the season is better Mm -hmm. i think it's 
visually more interesting. Yeah. I think it's uh, a little... The Mo- mystery is a little stronger. Yeah. However, I think the tension ups once the show catches up to modern day. And then you're going into the unknown. Because when the show initially starts, you're like, well, neither of these guys dies in like the late 90s. Yeah. Because here they are talking. And I remember I was intrigued enough about the timeline where at the end of the first episode, I went back to the first appearance of each of them because I wanted to see the date and time stamp. I wanted to see if they were within days of each other or if one was like two years after the other, the interviews, because it instantly grabbed me and I was like, ooh, what happens to these guys? Yeah. They do such a good job of putting just the right amount of information to where you're like, I feel well informed and a good portrait of who these men are has been painted for me, but I want to know more Mm -hmm. and I want to know how they got to where they are. Both in the past and in the present, very cool, and it does it does a great job of establishing that these men have changed a lot over the yeah. years, and uh, it just feeds spoon feeds you just a little bit more every episode, and you're like, ah, damn it. <laughs> just when I think I'm going to learn this, I absolutely. do, but then there's another mystery right behind that one. Yep, it's uh, it's absolutely it's a masterclass in storytelling, I think, and writing too. I mean, the characters are feel like real people. Absolutely. They feel like real characters and yet they will have this dialogue that is really lofty and interesting. It's great. I think that's a lot harder to do than a lot of people realize which is why you see a lot of movies that have really terrible, stilted dialogue. You're like, no one actually talks like this. Yeah. Or they have dialogue that's too dumb and like too many people talk like this. (laughs) It strikes a great fine line between making these guys feel like the type of guys you drive by every day and yet they're incredibly unique, interesting guys. Totally. Um, okay, so the recording cut out at this point, and I, uh, I, I, everything that I said is basically gone. You guys missed a horrible, horrible Advil Liquid Gels reference. And, oh, the whole reference is gone. Yeah, that's all gone. Oh, that's too Basically, uh, I left off saying that, um, the story does a good job of slow-release information, not giving you too much, uh, but also leaving you wanting more without having filler episodes kind of in between because they only have eight episodes to do it in so i absolutely appreciate it for that and and having that kind of restricted storytelling is is valuable because so often now um the television's all about money it's like we're gonna keep kicking out seasons until people stop watching and that's just it's not it's not conducive the 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 art is no longer the priority it is just about the money so um that's something that I really appreciate True Detective for. Uh, the Everything about the show is fantastic. It's beautifully photographed and, and some really, really haunting but awesome-looking locales throughout Louisiana. And uh, McConaughey and Harrelson are fantastic. And the, the chemistry that they have together, the kind of foils that they are for each other, is really, really interesting and allows them to go in interesting places. That is a really... Yeah, that is really... I, we didn't touch on that, but yeah, just the because you, I mean, you most people know that they have a relationship off screen, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that, so. yeah. They're they're like close, but oh, they get stoned a lot, like, a lot, <laughs> yeah. Them and, like, they go out, they go out to the yeah. to the desert and take peyote and have a vision quest. <laughs> I want that documentary. <laughs> What's well, interesting because, like, what oh, I even remember saying this to Alex really early on. I always have a hard time with celebrities that are such big celebrities. It can be hard to divorce them from who they are. Yeah. Which is why in Captain Phillips, I was kind of impressed because it's hard to see. Because you were like, Barkhad Abdi. It's just. I know, right? He's just so big. How am I going to be able to remove myself from his other notable roles? Uh, <laughs> no, 
Tom Hanks is just so big. It's and it, he's such a distinct face and voice. It's yeah. hard to see him get into a character. But Woody Harrelson is even bigger in, in my mind. And it's not that he's a bigger star than Tom Hanks because nobody is, but he's Woody Harrelson. Like it's just his name is Woody. <laughs> he played a character named Woody, and he always seems to. You just I always go into a, anything with Woody thinking of it. You know what you're getting. Yeah, but then think. but then I'm wrong. Yeah. Like I watched Kingpin and I'm like, damn, <laughs> he's really good in this movie. Like he's legitimately such a talented actor, and I always forget. And in this show, I remember firing it up and, and being like, yeah, there's Woody. And by the end of the pilot, I just already was like, fuck it. He's yeah, just so into this character, it's awesome. Totally, totally. No, and I have the same kind of reservation as as that with uh, Tom Hanks or not Tom Hanks, <laughs> Tom Cruise, Tom Waits. Tom Waits, yes. Whenever Tom Waits pops up in, like, uh, Mystery Men, no. Um, and, but no, like, Tom Cruise in Oblivion, that was kind of an issue with me. I yeah. just see Tom Cruise. But, uh, no, Woody, Woody sells it here. McConaughey, even though he's become this kind of, like, he's become somewhat of a, like, power, uh, art house powerhouse. <laughs> uh, it's It's interesting that he's able to not only shed his former persona but continually kind of reinvent himself in these different roles like the differences between dallas buyers club wolf of wall street and true detective are all it's it's insane like the range that he that he showed in this one year as you were saying is just nuts oh just in this one show yeah he plays three different characters that's true there was, he's like, I kind of felt like at first like when he first shows off his character I'm like oh this is like this is like dark McConaughey like this is like a McConaughey yeah. like like a parallel dimension McConaughey like, the worst yeah, timeline yeah cause like bizarre McConaughey they still have the same sort of like when you hear McConaughey talk sometimes he gets kind of deep and but he's does it in that deep funny stoner McConaughey way yeah and like this is McConaughey with like a dark Darker brain. <laughs> like, part of it with him too is he he does take real advantage of physicality and appearance because yeah. he at the three different major points that the show takes place he looks very different in mm-hmm. all three times and even within those times like in the first time he he looks a little different depending on kind of what's going on and him in the middle of the show kind of the middle timeline when it touches on yeah and like the mid two thousands early two thousands. Is when he looks the most McConaughey to me. Like, yeah. He looks like modern McConaughey. He's he's filled back in from being like. Yeah, super I think skinny. it's cool too. Wondering where they filmed, when they filmed which segments, because clearly he was like, "Hey, man, I'm all aged out from <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club, DBC, and <laughs> I gotta get healthy, or I'm gonna get healthier again." For because even in Wolf of Wall Street, he looked a little better, but he was still a little gaunt. Yeah. And then, now at the Oscars, he looked pretty much back to. Like healthy normal. McConaughey so it's kind of cool to think that standard McConaughey yeah, measure yeah, yeah standard issue McConaughey <laughs> I, I wonder if during the casting he was kind of like hey you know there's this or if they kind of thought that too and they filmed they structured the filming accordingly well, so, suppose, supposedly the, the the role was a little bit rewritten for McConaughey McConaughey was not the original offer I wonder who it was I don't know because I guarantee this was the route to go <laughs> yeah well was it I, Pitt uh, I, I thought I heard Brad Pitt's name Michael Pitt I don't know I don't know hey, I'm not sure. I, we'll, we'll have to look okay. into it during the break. Brad Pitt would have been interesting on this show, but I think he probably would have been better as Hart. I feel like Brad Pitt's already done it in Seven. True. And I, you know, it's it not was, not that I wouldn't love to see it again, but I just feel like he's already kind of tread that territory. And I'm happy that we got the opportun- opportunity to see McConaughey oh, for go sure. nuts. No, he was absolutely the way to go. The rumor was that he had a 400-page Bible that he wrote for Rust. That was just his kind of backstory and what he feels like Rust had done previously and what Rust, you know. See, and I love that mystery that exists. Yeah. Like I told you, I'm like, where, even in the show, no one, they never really say 
it's a cool thing about this show is these crazy lofty questions were answered and instead of big lofty bloated answers they just got real answers yeah hey where were you for like eight years in alaska and get drunk yeah <laughs> really and, I, and, and people were like is that really where he was yeah <laughs> People online are still like, this is what I think he was actually doing. I'm like, that's what he was doing. He was drunk in the, in the woods. Just <laughs> look look, look at him. Shit. He wasn't like, yeah. yeah. Clearly. And, well, and, and that's, to me, that's really awesome. There's yeah. a funny line to go along with it. There's a good line in the first in the first episode where McConaughey goes, you're asking the wrong questions. And yeah. that's totally what people did, like the entire yeah, show. Yeah, that's amazing. Had, some people had faults with the finale or they thought the show ended up being too grounded and like they wanted a, they well, wanted a I, I, I don't want you to say too much in non-spoilers yeah, yeah I won't we'll, yeah. we'll get it because that's largely what I have to talk about in the spoilers yeah. but I think that that's great I'm like no they set out with a goal they were going to tell this story and they told it and it was awesome yeah, yeah. alright uh, we'll take a quick break we'll be right back with Spoiler Terry for True Detective Season 1 Spoiler Terry. Um, so, if anybody wants to hashtag that with us, it's hashtag TRUDIX. Yeah, nothing nothing else will come up. We no, yeah, yeah, no, this is, it's just going to be us. So, if you're listening to this, please, <laughs> please do that and, and we'll talk. Um, yeah, so just off the top, I personally, I love that the, the idea that, you know, this investigation kind of serves as Rust's, like, Rust is on a collision course to, like, acceptance of his daughter's death throughout the whole, like, that's what the season kind of encapsulates. It's him, he almost has this kind of, like, it feels like, it's unfinished business to him. And you kind of start to see that when he, uh, he's interrogating the one guy, and the guy's kind of, the guy says something about the Yellow King. And, and that's kind of the, that's the point where he starts to unravel a little bit. Yeah. And, um, just kind of, it's like that these two things were predestined to intersect at some point. And this was, and the idea that like the, the intersection is equates to rust finding his human, the human part of himself again. And, and really just accepting his daughter's death and what happened in the, the earlier parts of his life. I found very, very beautiful. And I, I want that. I hope that they figure out some sort of way to make that kind of thing. Not necessarily, I'll talk about it more, but I hope that that's something that they retain in the anthology series a little bit. And I'll talk about that more, uh, more detailed in, in that section. But, um, no, what, what do you guys want to talk about, Spoiler Terry? Nick? You want to go first? Uh, sure. I have some. Loud noises. Loud noises. Runners fall over. Hashtag true runners. Actually not, because of diet. Um, <laughs> I, what I what I started to say earlier in Alex was like, hey, how happened to um, <laughs> I really like that the show avoided the temptation to go any bigger. Yeah. That it's, I mean, it is big already. The story's pretty big, but I like that there's no... I think if I'm trying to say it here. Like I said briefly, I like that there's no explanation of that eight years. It's not like we 
That's almost the opposite of filmmaking rules where you're supposed to show, not tell. I kind of mm-hmm. like that they just tell and move on. It's like, it's like where, where were you really for those eight years? And people were wondering, and they didn't, like, while McConaughey was telling his story, they didn't, like, show him in Canada sitting there. I mean, it would have been yeah. cool, I guess, and it would have been... It would have been neat to kind of see it. It would have been cool, too, if what he said was a lie and they showed us something different, kind of like a Nolan type thing. But I like that the show was just like, this is it. And it lets the characters say it to each other and you you don't get the privilege as the viewer to see anything other than what Woody has to hear. You're in the same... You experience rust from Woody's perspective in that moment. Yeah. What's the line at the in the last episode when they're out there together where he's like, <clears throat> we didn't get... We can't get all the guys, but we got yeah, our I got guy. that written down. Like, yeah. like, okay, well, that kind of goes along with what you're saying too. Yeah, you just kind of have to accept. You kind of have to accept. You're not going to get all the answers. Because that was what I loved, and Alex and I had this really long conversation over a Google chat one day um, about because I said something to him. I said, I, "If you, I said something about the literary roots, or I said oh, I, I like about... that they managed to put some supernatural in it. Yeah, the mysticism or the, something. some of the mysticism." The Alex says, "What do you mean?" And then I just because uh, I because I, I want I want I wanted to see where your head at was <clears> with all of that because <clears> I think there's. There's two readings to this, and you're oh, yeah. kind of about to get into that. And I, uh, I just video chatted him. I said, "Are you online or whatever?" And we video talked for a while about it, but I because it was too much to text. And I said, basically, if you do more reading about the show later, especially from people who and Tim, <clears throat> Tim got onto a little bit of this too, because he he sent me an article to read. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So good, when, when, good yeah, yeah. when the Yellow King first started popping up in Carcosa and all that, yeah. The, the Yellow. Oh, that's a book. It's out, it's two bucks on Amazon on Kindle. I yeah. bought it. The sales have skyrocketed. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I read since the show. Um, yeah, the Yellow King and the idea of Carcosa is this really interesting idea that it shows how well read uh, Nick uh, Pizzolato. 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 Is, uh, <laughs> because. The idea of Carcosa in in should we really should I get really into this or no? I don't. You don't need to get too deep into it, but I I'll, think I'll, the general. Let me, let me sum up from Princess Bride. <laughs> um, basically, the idea was Carcosa was this city of like pure crazy evil that existed in another dimension, and the only way to access that dimension was to have an intensely high concentration of pain and suffering and evil in one area. And so the idea that some fans have is that at the in the final episode when McConaughey enters that final scary death chamber and he sees that portal, right? some people think that's real. And because Rust is already sort of a weird, semi-clairvoyant type of guy who also had his system pushed further by all the years of intense drug use and hallucinogens that he took, right. they think he's able to sort of see into other dimensions that normal people can't. And so when he sees that, he's actually seeing the portal that has been kind of constructed in that area of all the years of, like, killing children and raping children and stuff that happened in that area. Like the, like the Tuttle family was basically... The, the, there's a larger cult yeah. whose end goal was to actually open up the right. portal to Carcosa and see it. That, that it's not just a literary metaphor that this crazy backwoods goofball Errol is obsessed with. And that the, the basically the story is bigger than just catching this killer... That there, there's a cult whose entire purpose is to actually reach this city. And these, this is just the small arm of that cult, maybe. Right. Maybe it's like a national, worldwide thing. That there's this crazy cult that worships demons. That's because the show sort of says the angle might be that they're just a band of crazies that likes pedophilia. But I like the, I like the, the hint that there, it might be a bigger scheme. But I like that they're smart enough to make that in the background and say, this yeah. is a bigger thing. And it goes along totally with that line you said where, where Rust is a little bit dissatisfied and, and Hart says, listen, this is just, that's just not the kind of world we live in. We're never going to get all of them, but we got our guy. That's all that matters. We, got, we stopped the guy we set out to get. And I think that's brilliant that the writers are like, yeah, there is this big, big, bad 
thing in the background. And maybe they'll explore it more in other seasons, because uh, we'll get to that later yeah. when we talk about season two, which I think lends a little bit of uh, credence, credence yeah. to my theory. But I think either way, whether I'm right or wrong, it's just it's a fun theory, and it's cool that he at least tied tied together his literary illusions with the, the Yellow King and Carcosa and that. Because a lot of people think that portal is very indicative of like Cthulhu mythos, which apparently mm-hmm. is also tied into it. And kind of Lovecraftian stuff. So I thought that was really neat. And it's a it's a sweet subplot that you will never know if you don't know some of that stuff. Because I didn't until I started reading it. But it, the show totally stands on its own without it. It's one of those fun things where like great writers can hide little things like that in their movies. No, yeah. totally. Like That's, references to other works. He's that, he's that guy that loved English class when it seemed like your English teacher was making up. And a lot of the about best... all the symbolism and whatnot. Like this dude actually put it all in there. People always... Well, not people always say, but I've heard a lot of people say that great filmmakers are the ones that know which ideas to steal from their favorite filmmakers and yeah. work them into their own fiction. Like, right. how many great movies contain references to, like, Indiana Jones and how many mm-hmm. references in Indiana Jones are from other, other works. And, right. like, a lot of the best artists steal from other artists and then make it their own. Spin it. And yeah. I think this is a further evidence of that. No, and that's, yeah, when I, because there was an article, I think it was IO9 that was the, kind of the first one to write yeah. an article on that, and it came across, and that was around episode two, when it was, it was still kind of mysterious where really, they were really. going with yeah. it, because it I remember. It was like the first, like the, the glimpse through Dora Lang's notebook that said the Yellow King and Carcosa. Right. And the recurring yeah. portal, too. Right. And I remember going, like, if, if they want to go full on supernatural with this, like, I'm in with it. But I, I wasn't completely sure where I was, because you didn't know where I was going. But yeah. then about episode four or five, you kind of knew it wasn't going to go full force into that. Yeah. Um, and if it had in like the last three episodes, I think that would have been a misstep. Yeah. 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 yeah with the way they set it up, they would like, lose a lot of their audience. Yeah. With the, yeah, with the way they set it up. But yeah, I'm I like the way that it um yeah it tied those in and but it can it's still explained through humanism like it's still explained through. The way humans act to things, because even the even the portal part is explained as like it's probably just something in McConaughey's yeah hallucinate his head. It's very so. like it's basically like that ties in together with McConaughey. Like while he was almost dying, he's basically feeling the warmth of his daughter and everything's still right. Yeah, that was, like, yeah, that was yeah. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> but yeah, that was. Um, there, that, there were absolutely Alex's tears in this finale. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my eyes are watering right now thinking about. It. But but uh, yeah, and then. Yeah, so that was hiding. My favorite shot of the entire series is not actually the tracking shot. Which Nick, are you talking about that? Yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I will. I'll bounce back after. Because the tracking shot, but my favorite shot in the entire series is when McConaughey is driving and the lights yep, are yep, like flying. Yep, yep, like yeah, that's totally. a, that was amazing. When they're <laughs> talking like, about the damage in his brain yep, from the drug use. I, I was blown away by that. I was really into that because it looked like they sh- they did it all in camera and they somehow composited normal McConaughey on it. Or in right. Because they had the reverse shot in the car and the background was still crazy but he was normal just kind of looking around. I was like, yeah. oh, this is cool. Right. And it does not seem like the type of show where they would make things in, in post and in CGI. Like it, all yeah. that stuff's easy. Like, that's easily attainable. I just like the idea that they went for it. I'm like, let's shoot it in camera and make yeah. it neat, really immersive. Yeah, that was an amazing. There were a lot of amazing shots in this show, but I, the concentration of them was definitely like episode five and, and back. Yeah. yeah, a lot of very neat camera placement and interesting angles and interesting blocking. Like the way the the people moved in the frame was always really cool, and the way the camera would counter people's movement is very. It was directly directed like a film, and it was really neat to watch. And, and the way that Especially early on in the relationship, there was Woody would frequently be standing there talking to somebody, and McConaughey would just kind of be orbiting him. Yeah, he would kind of go back and forth, or either around him. And it was interesting to watch him kind of circle it from an outside perspective. It was very like 
indicative of their relationship and who they are. Woody was standing there concentrating and talking, and McConaughey's just kind of observing the whole thing, and he'd open his notebook and write something down, or the camera would counter him. It made it, it, it very much gave an interesting unease to his character, why Woody you could just focus on. It was, it's very, like, this, this show is, you know, the nuts and bolts of what make movies interesting on an unconscious level was, was very present in this show. Like people, whether they know it or not, it's like when they, in editing, they teach you, like, if you slowly start cutting a scene faster, if you have longer cuts at the beginning of a scene, and by the time it's compressing towards the end of the scene, you start cutting faster, it automatically increases Builds, tension. Yeah. Little things like that were absolutely at work in this show, and it was uh, very, very cool. And the tracking shot, I mean, ugh. Amazing. Ugh. <laughs> and everybody, apparently everybody, more people than I realize, know that I love that stuff, like beyond love, yeah. long takes. Because I had people texting me and posting on my Facebook the day after that episode, like, Nick, if you haven't been watching True Detective, you've got to. Because yeah. there's a scene you'll love at the end of the show. And I was like, what? And then people started being like, oh, it's a long take. And then they're like, it's a steady cam shot. Oh, it's six minutes long. And I was like, what? <laughs> so by the time I got to it, it was actually cool enough where I texted Alex about the show. And he goes, what episode are you on? And I said, four. And I thought it was on episode five. Yeah, but I'm on episode four, and Alex texts me back. He's like, ooh, 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 get ready. You said get ready for jizz or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is the one. And he goes, what's your time stamp? And so I texted him. I'm like, oh, I'm at 43 minutes. And so he queued it up at home and watched it alongside yeah. me. And it was hilarious to uh, be sending him. I'm That's like, awesome. what? What? Oh, God. Oh, no. A helicopter? What? <laughs> like that kind of thing. And he's like, on his end, he's just like, yes. Yep. Yeah. No, that was, that was amazing. And it was very well done. Totally. It was uh it was ambitious and yet very well executed. Yeah, and he supposedly he planned for two edit points, which you can kind of tell if you're looking for him. But supposedly they did use a single take. Yeah, it was not. I just... wonder how many times they shot it. I think he said six or seven. Yeah, I wanted to say seven. It's just it's a great way to build tension, even though you know the outcome. Like, yeah, the guy's gonna live, but it's just a great way. But it's to still yeah, like that whole situation action. is just so insane in the first place, and then just to watch it all start to it's such a crumble. It's and... such a dumbass gamble from the beginning. Yeah, to see it. Oh, it's the idea it. of like meth addicted idiots that hang out at biker bars all the time. <laughs> it was very. Some people didn't. I read didn't really like it. They thought it was a weird subplot that didn't make a lot of sense. But I thought it was. I thought it was. It fit in perfectly. I want to know. How many people watched the episode and didn't even notice that was a long take? If yeah. anybody was actually like, at the end of the shot, was like, did that even, did that even change? <laughs> I think a fair amount of people did because Twitter was pretty abuzz. It's pretty I mean, immersive. People like obviously people you know were like, hey, you need to check this out. No, I'm but... saying how many people didn't notice it was one take? Uh, yeah, people that just were so ushered along by the momentum That's, of it, yeah. they didn't go, whoa, be... the camera hasn't cut once. That would be interesting to see. Because, yeah, a lot of people noticed it was... But then it quickly, the ball, the snowball started rolling into big things, and I had people people texting me, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... There was something else I wanted to talk about, and I don't have it fully formed, but um, the idea, especially when they interrogate the guy on the boat, they interrogate the yeah. sheriff on the boat, and he mm -hmm. says... They start questioning him about the situation, and... and uh, the girl that they have the tape of, and he's basically just like, I was doing my job. It was part of the job, chain of command. I passed it off, and it went above me, and I did my job. And thinking about that with respect to the whole show and how these horrible people are getting away with really terrible things because people are just doing their job. Because they're exploiting the system. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the idea that uh, this kind of coincides with my discussion of what the what the title true detective means very much 
Like I feel like the true detect the titular true detective is Rust because Rust never like yeah he spent those eight years in Alaska but he never lets go of this investigation and he can't he he says to Marty he's like we have a debt we have a debt to pay yeah and um just the idea that uh, Rust didn't want to hand the investigation off to that task force because he felt as though maybe one of the other the you know, higher Tuttles would have some sort of ability to just sweep it under the rug and make it forgotten about. And just... He was absolutely right. Yeah, he was completely right. And just watching that kind of all unfold and see how people's gross negligence of certain situations can completely just allow these terrible things to be perpetrated throughout history. And it's that was really fascinating to see and to watch them kind of discuss it. And, and it... Absolutely, like a, a lot of people think the finale was a letdown, as you were saying, which is interesting to me. And and clearly, I think I don't know if they were watching the show for if they were getting the same things out of the show. Obviously not. Obviously, they weren't getting the same things out of the show as you, like as we were. But it is still super dissatisfying to me that they're never going to get all those people. But it's absolutely like what he says. You know, with, with this, that's not the world we live in. You're never going to get them all, but we got our guy. Yeah, you can't always fight the the root cause. Sometimes you just have to fight the symptom, and that's it. Things are things can be so much bigger than you that there's literally nothing that you and can a do lot of except try to trip it. away. A lot of people praised it in that regard, too, for saying, I'm glad. And I think Pizzolatto even said this in an interview. He's like, people were never going to be satisfied with two ex-cops destroying an entire conspiracy. 50, in, totally. his, in his words, 50 years worth of evil. Yeah. Two guys are not going to single-handedly, without outside of the realm of justice, uh, solve this problem. Um, the Dan Harmon, the creator of Community, was on some sort of uh, panel. He was at South by Southwest promoting his documentary. And um, I think... He and Pizzolatto were talking on Twitter, and uh, Pizzolatto was like, if the, if the finale takes, then I'll be leaving the country. And then, But Harmon was talking about this at, at South by Southwest. He was like, I don't care if they just walk into a warehouse and it's a birthday party that the chief was, was throwing them. Like, there were never any murders, and this was all part of the surprise. There's no way for the finale to do me wrong because of what's for sale with the show. is isn't just the payoff. It's smelling the roses along the way. It's just sort of unfolding like a flower, and at this point, enough of the flowers unfolded that if the last petal is a kazoo, I'm not going to go, this is a bad flower, I'll really enjoy it. And I felt like that that was that was a really interesting way to put it. Yeah. I like the idea of the birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all just one long con to, to give Woody the best uh, birthday ever. 17 years later. No, but no, like I, I, I like that sentiment that like this show could never fail because of what it's done beforehand. And I think, like, sure. yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of people need to be more forgiving in that regard. Like even people who hate the finale of Lost, like did it ruin the whole show for you though? And some people are like eh, it's the worst show ever, the finale is stupid. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, did you enjoy yourself for some of it? Absolutely. I'm one of, I'm one of those guys that doesn't like. I don't like Leslie three seasons of Lost, so. I, can, I haven't watched that. that. I season five, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I just they start. I don't want to get into Lost. Right? Lost yeah. actually, Lost actually does. But what they are very, didn't. Yeah, they're very similar. And but I think 
And part of my problem with Lost is I think people have been conditioned to expect just like crazy swerves and like crazy cliffhangers. And then when they don't oh, get it. Oh, how they sold the show, yeah, for mm-hmm. years. And when they don't get it, like True Detective's not going to do that. True Detective's going to like finish it the way it's going to finish Yeah, like, and, like everybody was waiting for the how is Rust connected to the song right, right. to and pop up. There was again. a lot of that. And I think that might play into some of the letdown too. And yeah. I, 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 I get it, but I just think it's. I think it's. I think it's. I, I don't. I disagree. People yeah. wanted like a gnarly Kane, Kane versus Abel showdown at the end, <laughs> right. ending of Heat, basically. Yeah, they, Marty has to kill this does Rust. Have some stuff yeah, in even heat. though he is his brother. But the other thing is, and it's a very. And Alex made fun of me because I like it. Uh, Alex was like, "This show depresses me to no end." Like early on, like it's 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 very bleak. It's, it's not, very bleak. Yeah. And I texted him like, "I love like this show makes me happy. Like this like I'm yeah, so you, happy because it's so well done." And then. I don't know. It, it kind of plants the seeds. It ends really optimistic, honestly. Absolutely, <laughs> and, I love the ending. And, that last that last exchange with them is one like I'm going to cry talking about it right now because <laughs> I love it so much. It's just so beautifully put, and it's oh, I, yeah. I'm actually what is the what is the uh, what is the lines just so we can make Alex ball? <laughs> Which part? There's like several. The one I'm ones. thinking of is he said, he says, when you look up at the stars. Yeah, well, Mar- Mar- Marty's talking about it. He's like, oh, there's a whole lot of dark up there, and then you know whatever. A little bit more happens, and then he's McConaughey's like, I gotta get out of this hospital. So he's he, Marty picks him up, and uh, well, Marty says because he it starts because he says, you know, he's trying to cheer him up because yeah, McConaughey legitimately about, breaks down talking about his daughter and how yeah. he wished he's not supposed to be here and he was supposed to die mm-hmm. and he wished he had. And Hart says, Hey man, look at the stars, man. Look how good they look. Remember, you told me when you were in Alaska, you used to make up stories about them. He's like, Why don't you tell me one of the stories? I was like, That's really gay. And I was like, This is a really weird. <laughs> This is a really weird out of character moment. Like I actually didn't like that part. I didn't. I didn't like. The, I didn't Wait, like which the, one? The Woody part? Yeah. No, I, no. I, I want to tell you. No, I, I know like what that. you're okay, saying. Okay, it's no, just okay. the beginning of it because he, he's like gets him talking about the stars. Yeah. And then McConaughey tells a story about him, and he talks about how the the stars were this symbol of like something. And then Woody yeah. goes, well, it, says, "It looks to me like darkness has more territory." Yeah, and then uh, basically the final exchange, like uh, McConaughey is like, you know, you're, you got it all wrong about the about the stars thing. Yeah. And then what he's like, what are you talking about, McConaughey? He's like, there, once there used to be just dark, now there's... There's nothing but darkness. Yeah, and once there was nothing but darkness, but now there's... Yeah. And, I, and it looks the, to me like, like the light, light is, is winning. winning. Yeah, and, and it's just... It's beautiful because it, it in a way, it kind of sounds... Because, let's face and I'm the same way at times, but, like, there are some, <laughs> there are some really good, smart people in the world. Yeah. And... I tend to spend a lot of time shitting on the dumb ones, and I think people focus on the dumb ones so much that they forget that there are a lot of really good people in the world, and like that's kind of what the show is saying at the end. Yeah. Even that interchange between the two, and I wanted to touch on the Woody thing because I actually thought it was a good character moment because it shows kind of how he had grown. Because the old Woody Harrelson would have went into this religious kind of or like yeah, he would have just been like you know it's because you don't like God. Yeah, that's what <laughs> the old Woody would have done. But this one has been through. pushes his wheelchair into the street. And he screwed up his marriage. Yeah, he's I'm sorry. He's <laughs> crawl away anyway. He screwed up his marriage. He's hit his daughter. Like everybody's done with him. He's grown into like an actual man. Yeah, and like that's him. He's I not afraid to be sensitive and and even McConaughey it, and like. The growth isn't huge. It's not a complete 180 for either of them. But even McConaughey has turned from like a pretty strict. I, I thought he was a pretty, pretty strict, strict pessimist. And, yeah, and... I was gonna say atheist. <laughs> like, yeah, he's pretty strict. And even at the end there, there's kind of a Woody's kind of gone darker. Yeah. And then McConaughey at the end kind of goes a little like there's a little more acceptance and a little more open mindedness, open mindedness to McConaughey yeah. character after his near death thing. That's kind of what I got from that, and that totally. was that kind of showed the growth of the character. That's a good point. Yeah, I stand corrected. 
No, and I, I, I love the, uh, their, that last scene of the show is the only time that you feel like these guys, it feels like these guys are going to be together for the rest of their lives. Like they're, right. like they're, they have to. Well, and there, there was, there was even evidence of that earlier in the episode, which is one of my favorite, uh, bits is showing how, how alone they both are. Yeah. Cause I loved, 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 loved the part where they're, they're meeting in like the office they're working at, they build their little crazy crime hut in, uh. In, in, uh, in his office, and, and then there he's like, "All right, I'll you know I'll see you tomorrow, or whatever." And then there's that amazing montage. I don't remember what voiceover there was, but I remember you get footage of Hart in like his sad one bedroom apartment. Wasn't it the two of them talking? Wasn't it asking like it what was. you do when you go home? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it was. Be- it was absolutely. I mean, it's up there with like Benjamin Button voiceover montage in the third act of the movie, uh-huh. reading the letter to his daughter. Like it's up there, and. The shots of Hart in like his bummer apartment, single guy, and he's like slight paunch and balding hair, and he sits in front of the TV eating his his, 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 his microwave dinner, dinner <laughs> and McConaughey taking the trash out from the bar he works at, and like, whew, I was like, this <laughs> is amazing, yeah. Because yeah, just when you really think, I, I mean, it's, it, I mean, that I was like, this is absolutely breathtaking, and there's not, it's just these two guys. This is what they do now. This is their life, and they. It's so beautiful and so sad. Like, that was, like, the Ox's Tears moment for me with these guys. Because I'm like, this is what happens if you, if you like, you reap what you sow, basically, when you're younger. And, and, and the idea that, and it's sad, too, though, because these guys are some of the most selfless people that exist. Because they, wow. they intentionally destroy, I mean, to, to, a, to, a, to a certain degree. Because they destroy their personal lives in pursuit of trying to do what's right and... and solving murders and I agree with that on McConaughey I do not with Hart I think Hart was extremely selfish and his his life only got destroyed because of the choices that he made outside well no I'm talking even bigger picture than like their their how they choose to behave around their friends and family but the the career there's even the line that the two I always I feel bad for always feeding their names the two uh, black detectives that are interviewing them yeah they one's like Papa Papa Papa, it's, it's a well, very it's, French. It's Brother Muzan from The Wire, but, <laughs> but when they're interviewing him, and they t- they yeah. talk about it, one of them says something like, "He's like, how many marriages? How many are you?" And he's like, "Oh, I got." Three. He's like three. There's the yeah. one that's always got the sad answers for everything, and he's like, "See, you know." And one of them goes, says something like, "It's, it's Gil, a Gilbert and Papania." Papania. Okay. Uh, he says that's kind of the curse of the job, is it does tend to do that. It takes good men, and it <laughs> it can ruin you inadvertently yeah. because you can't help but over the. I mean. I feel bad for Hart, and I think a lot of people don't. They're like, he's a bastard. And the, and the scene where Michelle Monaghan is, is pissed at him, and she's like, you, you used to be such a good man. You used to be such a smart man. And, and I, I don't want to play devil's advocate and be like, it's okay for him to fool around and all that. But years and years and years. I mean, if you're the type of guy where at the end of the day you can look into a microwave of a baby that's been blown up inside a nuke and just do nothing but scowl and walk away kind of bummed out, that's fucked up. If you've been <laughs> on the job for that long where, and eventually... Listen, that's why he left. That's why he left, but he didn't leave because that scene was, because that moment was so bad. It was just like he realized he's got how many years of this behind him to the point where, I think he didn't leave because it affected him so badly, but because it didn't affect him so much. Hmm. Which is why I think that the tape, the actual Yellow King in this show, the tape that drives everybody crazy, is so interesting because a, a guy like Hart is so desensitized to this type of shit. And it finally probably reached a point where he realized and he had a moment of, you know, awakening where he's like, I have no wife, I have no kids, I have nothing, and I'm here in a crack den microwave room looking at a baby that painted the walls of this thing. Like, that's crazy. And and you can't, a, a man, a person can't go into that line of work, I don't think, without, you might be okay for a little while, 
but then it slowly will start to ebb its way into your, into your unconscious, and then you're bringing it home with you before you know it. And I, I feel like if guys who come out the other end of that broken, it's not even necessarily their fault. And it's why, you know, I, I can play devil's advocate with those guys sometimes because I, I kind of think I can understand. Like, you know what, I, I would be... It doesn't excuse it, but it explains it. I'd be, I'd be a lot more sympathetic in the sense of, like, he comes home and, and it starts leaking into his life and that takes a toll on his wife and kids. I can't, I can't forgive, like, the cheating. Like, that's, that's a conscious decision to not go to the person who you swore your life to in order to it's, deal I mean, with I don't that think, you're doing. I don't think he can be condemned or condoned for it because we can't possibly understand I don't think until you've you've essentially walked a mile in that person's shoes can you kind of understand the way their brain works because clearly they have a decent relationship in the future when he's like divorced they can like sit in a room and kind of discuss it like adults without getting heated or mad they they talk about it that's like the first time they've seen each other in no not two not, years in two I think, years ish right? but yeah but it, it implies that they they've come to a kind of an understanding about it and they're not because she has one line that's a little bit of a something he could get really riled up about. I don't remember what it was. Because I remember when she said it, I was like, ooh, how's he going to react? And he's just kind of like, meh. He's accepted it. Like, he knows what he did. And he, he lives with it. And I think it's it's why these guys, I, the title True Detective, I think even extends into their, their personalities. Because they've pretty much sworn off everything. But, but what they do. But the job, yeah. Interesting. I, um, we're going to go pretty long on this one because I feel anybody that's listening to it probably will enjoy the conversation in the first place. On our Google chat, Nick, you were talking a lot about, there were a lot of interesting ideas that you brought up and you just mentioned The Yellow King. There's, The Yellow King itself is a book that is a bunch of short stories and it's also a play within the book that anybody who reads or experiences the play goes insane, correct? Right, mm-hmm. and which is supposedly the same for the city of Carcosa, that our, anybody from our plane can't exist there, because if you go there, you're driven insane by either okay. what you see or just being there. It's a place of such madness that the Yellow King is supposed to be, the, yeah, this play that drives people mad. The, the idea that in the show, the tape that McConaughey gets is what is the Yellow King within the show, because the people that watch it, Marty and the sheriff, just have these... Terrible, visceral reactions. Insanely, to it. like, yeah, over the top. Yeah. And Rust presumably did as well because he said he'll never watch it again. Yeah. And every time they show it, and he, he said he watched the whole thing because mm-hmm. <laughs> he had to see, was looking for the faces at the yeah. end. Um, I think that's really interesting, and I didn't want anybody to lose out, lose no, out sure. on it. Yeah, I read that. I was like, oh, that's really clever. That's because really, really cool. the, even my friend yesterday, we were talking about it on set. He was like, who. So do you think that guy's the Yellow King? I was like, eh, I don't think the Yellow King is anybody in the show. It's just probably a kind of name he adopted. And people were talking about his different accents, mm-hmm. and people interpreted that differently. They're talking, talking about, about Errol. Chil- yeah. yeah, Errol Childers. Um, and someone said, I think he's schizophrenic, and the proper British accent was the Yellow King in his mind, was this like diabolical mastermind. Yeah. And then someone else pointed out what the actual answer is, is that uh, Pizzolatto said in, in, in an interview that Errol had speech problems in okay. his original when he was younger, and he said maybe he was it was a result of his face being burned or something. But anyway, he used to watch legions of, of movies to was, try to talk better, and that's why you see in the house they're literally yeah. surrounding the TV. And <laughs> apparently, the English accent he does is a direct impression of the villain from North by Northwest. Okay, and like even some of the dialogue, and somebody picked up on it. Like that's from North by Northwest, and then people were like, "Oh, okay, it's just kind of a subtle thing that he." 
is and, and part of why a lot of people were arguing that he was a dullard and like a half wit and too stupid to be the mastermind. And I said, well, somebody else said he's not stupid. Like he, he's yeah. not, there's no, there's no evidence that he's retarded yeah. other than that he might be inbred. But even then they, they don't think he is necessarily. Uh, he could be. He could be. <laughs> yeah, there's a hundred percent. Definitely not ruling it out. We're not ruling it out. Yeah, but somebody goes, he's a little too, too good at having pulled this off for a while. But what, it could uh, just be a savant too. Anyway, well, what I not, said was, I funny. think his his occupation in the show as like a groundskeeper slash maintenance yeah. man is literally was his occupation within the cult that he was just the guy who did the dirty work, like kidnapping people or cleaning up. Because they somebody pointed out in the opening scene of the series when you see the body being dragged and placed, it's someone of a much smaller, slimmer build that actually does it. Right. And somebody talked about the hierarchy within the cult would not be unlike the hierarchy within the church that. You probably have the guys who are taking the credit and, and all the big idea men are the ones that run the cult and they come up with the ideas and they're the ones that, that like place the body and like have the design the rituals and that kind of thing. And a guy like Errol is just the groundskeeper. Right. And because everybody else else either was killed off or like I'm not even entirely convinced that what's her name? Dorna Lane. She's the one they find Dor- out the Dorna Lane. I don't think she yeah. was necessarily even killed by Errol. She may have been. But I think he was in, yeah. he was involved, but he may not. He's not the sole. No, it's not like it was because one it's killer. such a big weaved web that mm-hmm. right. It's it's a network of yeah. people that were being creepy. And I'm really I I that's <clears throat> the only thing that I kind of am left wanting is kind of an explanation of what happened with Thor. Like why was she the one that was just so straight up public out there? I have to watch it. That's why I said when I texted you because I actually caught the finale before Alex did. Yeah. Um, and I texted him and said it's it's great. I love the way it ends. And I said, but it demands an almost immediate rewatch of the show. Yeah. Because yeah. all the threads are cinched together at the end there, and I really wanted to go back to the pilot immediately and start to retrace what I already knew. I feel like this is a show you could probably watch the whole run of probably three or four times. It's almost like Memento where you watch it more and more and more and you see more and more. Yeah. Right. Which is amazing. <clears throat> Alright, uh, any last minute spoiler thoughts before we move on to season two? That's what I was going to say. Let's talk about season two. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, so uh, we know that the show is an anthology series, and kind of the question that that begs, especially having only one point of reference at the moment, is what is the connective tissue going to be? What is What, what, what makes these... What is, what's going to make these seasons an anthology? Why are we putting them together and looking at them as a collective... And, um, uh, Fukunaga, there's an article on Slash Film. I have a bunch of articles that I looked at, and I am going to post links to them in the, in the, uh, episode, but, um, I'm not, I, I don't think I, I, not a whole lot that I'm going to go over at the moment. Um, but SlashFilm.com, we've got True Detective Season 2 plot about the secret occult history of the U.S. transportation system. Um, so... Oh, that was the one I read. Yeah, 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 because it reminded me of Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so uh, it's a sequel to that. The uh, so Nick Pizzolatto did a did an interview with Hitfix apparently, and uh, one one of the quotes that um, one of the quotes that that they that Slash Film pulled out of it was: "This is a story that began with sending in mind that Cole would be articulating without sentiment sentimentality or illusion an actual kind of optimism." That line you asked me, the lights winning. That was one of the key pieces of dialogue that existed at the, uh, at the very beginning of the series' conception. For me as a storyteller, I want to follow the characters and the story through what they organically demand. And if it would have it been the easiest thing in the world to kill one or both of these guys. 
even had an idea where something more mysterious happened to them, where they vanished into an unknown, and Gilbro and Papania had to clean up the mess because nobody knows what happens to them. Which kind of corroborates the Carcosa idea, and that that portal in the end was kind of real and whatnot, but... Um, he said, or it could have been full-blown supernatural, but I think both of those things would have been very easy. And they would have denied sort of the realist questions that the show had been asking all along. Um, he goes on to say, uh, he's talking about the Yellow King murder mystery. He says, I don't think it was an empty vehicle. It, uh, is what I guess I would say there. I don't think it would have been just anything that these guys were working on. I think it's relevant that the person they're chasing is both the victim of a historical evil and perpetrator of a, of a historical evil. The killer in that way is a physical articulation of cultural aspects that have sat behind the scenes, even informing the polluted landscape that provides much of the background. If you go back to the idea of something being in its natural state and then being perverted, and that this particular villain, for lack of a better word, is a killer of women and children, and his methodology is intimately tied with a mythology of belief. Um, and then he talks about the overall like bigger conspiracy, the, guy that the idea that there's ten people in the video and whatnot. But finally he says... Okay, this is really early for season two. He says, this is really early, but I'll tell you it's about hard women, bad men, and the secret occult history of the United States transportation system. That's kind of all we got right now. Okay. I can kind of tell you what I don't want. <laughs> I, 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 I hope that the show doesn't become formulaic, kind of cookie cutter. Here's two cops. One of them is jaded. The other one's not. The jaded one has done some some uh, some deep undercover stuff where they have connections that's going to help them get the killer in the end. Right. That kind of thing. I don't I don't know what else they could do, but I don't necessarily want it to be all about killers. You know, I don't want it to be that kind of like you know there there are other investigations that police police people do. So I I would like to kind of look into that. Police see if there's people. yeah um, that police. I police. suppose I could just say. Uh, I want to see the. I want to see the show try and encapsulate a little bit more of, like, what a detective is going to do, even if it's, like, I don't want it to necessarily focus in on the same threads as this one. Because, you know, there's, like, sex crimes, and there's, like, that kind of, and we've kind of covered a lot of that. Yeah, that's what I remember saying the other day, is that the show kind of covered a lot of bases. It did. I mean, murder, rape, uh, theft, drugs, uh, trafficking. Corruption. Weapons, yeah, corruption, it's all in the show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, I don't know what it's going to become. I don't really know how I would, I necessarily want it to go. I just know that I hope that they, that they stay away from as many tropes of the season that there, that there could be. Right. And, and I, I personally feel as though going the way of, I don't know if I want them to continue to build out the occult idea of it all. That's not necessarily where I want it to go. I could watch it and see it and be like, wow, this is still really, really well done and I'm interested in it. But that wasn't necessarily... I didn't take to the the uh, the Yellow King stuff as much throughout. I took more to the journey that Rust kind of goes through. And I think it would be interesting to start seeing these people, seeing these detectives go through different journeys and... Obviously, with true detective, maybe maybe they're not a true detective if their if their investigation fails and they don't necessarily win. But seeing where that would take somebody as a detective and as a person, I think that would be interesting. But I don't know. What do you guys do? You guys have any ideas for season two? Do you have anything that you think it could be? Anything that you want it to be? Midnight Train, pretty much the exact <laughs> same thing as Midnight Train. 
No. Um, <laughs> as long as do it, you have any casting ideas for season two as well? No, casting's going to be tough. I, I, I'd be honest. Uh, to be honest with you, that's my problem. I think with casting someone like Brad Pitt at this point is it kind of feels like a. He's very similar to McConaughey to me in some ways, and then yeah. it kind of feels like it, those are going to be compared. I would probably try to go somewhere completely different with the yeah. casting than that. Well, um, and the, the 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 whole women thing. I there, think there's that idea too. Yeah, there's a work. precedent that he wants to go with women this time around because he's getting pretty reamed for how women are portrayed in the show. Mm, yeah, I, I wanted to argue because I've read that too, and that bothers me. This is this is the second time Wolf of Wall Street they attacked it for this too, <laughs> and like that's the point of the show. Yeah. Is the way they're treating it. the way like that these these two people are so completely disconnected yeah, from the like, other sex that they just don't. <laughs> yeah, like Wolf of Wall Street. Like, yes, they're treating women terrible. They're terrible people. Yeah. Like, are you not watching this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like I get it, and because women are terrible, like most movies, I have terrible female characters. But you're attacking the wrong things right now. Yeah, like you're attacking like the point of the show. <laughs> so, yeah. and that's the same thing with Woody's character. Is like, yeah, he's fucking up. Like that's what yeah. he's doing. Like he's there's no there's no glorification no. of behavior. <laughs> no. That... no, he's condemned at every turn by yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. I, that because I've seen him get jumped for that. Yeah, and I just like. Like, I get it, like, what the road to hell is paved with the best intentions or whatever, yeah. but, like, I get it, but you're wrong right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but, think uh, it, I think it's pretty misguided and a yeah. very shallow look at the show. Right. Oh, that got me. Okay. Um, season two. Let's get back to that. <laughs> yeah. People who think Frozen is up to turn women into lesbians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you that... watched it, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that sounds interesting. But... <laughs> But um, more on that later. <laughs> it's more on that my in Tiblog's After Dark Frozen. Right? <laughs> 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 um, yes, yeah, the, please. The women, the women idea, the occult thing. I'm not crazy about it. Delving too deep into it, I love it as window dressing, and I love where it could go. Like I don't know if he's if he's feeling like he can intensify the occult nature because of what he did with this one, or if he's. If he's setting the stage for exactly like what he did in this one, but in a different, maybe there's different aspects right. of the occult well, that he's going to focus on. The like, one I, 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 like we said, I hope I hope it culminates in like season six, McConaughey and and Woody come back. All the all the stars of the previous five yeah. seasons come together for a super team of of Hellblazers. <laughs> the show I think <laughs> to, of, to destroy Carcosa. Yeah, the, the journey show, to Carcosa. The show I think of, and it's it's never really referred to as an anthology, but it kind of is, and it's really cliche to break it up, but it's The Wire. Because The Wire mm. tells a story, I mean, it uses the same characters, and it tells a story. No, 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 you're okay, he hasn't No, I'm not going to go too yeah. deep into it, no, no, don't worry. It uses the same character, and it tells a story about each part of the system. Yeah. So, one season tells about the school, one season tells about the cops, one te- season tells about the criminals. So that's kind of what I'm thinking of. Oh, that sounds cool. For this show. is it wires, yeah, it's, it's never really referred to in anthology, but it's, every season is kind of one story. So Spinning out of that. Yeah. Um... When, based on what Apizzolato said... <laughs> Apizzolato! I, I feel like I, I have uh, to do it every time. <laughs> slightly different. Um, I said, well, he based on the three things he says, my kind of idea was that it was going to be about the the American railroad system being built, and I was thinking the show was going to be maybe an 1800s, early 1900s show, and the two stars were going to be women. He talks about the secret occult history of the U.S. Right. transportation system. I'm like, well, unless you're going to go into the devil worshippers at Greyhound bus, it's got to be. <laughs> it's got to be about railroads and, right. and the catacombs other, hidden underneath yes. the subway. And uh, other people, uh, the cash cab. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
is fed on the blood of Christians. <laughs> no, uh, and other people brought up that there's tradition, you know, the the idea of meeting the devil at a crossroads type thing, and that, and that you know, early, the, especially who watched the super, you watch Supernatural, right? Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of times when they go to a crossroads, it's some scary dirt road in the middle of nowhere where there's not even the roads on have names, just like right. a, the third road. Um, <laughs> and they they talk to a demon there at the crossroads. And other people talked about how uh, you know the whole. If you looked at it, probably a map of the U.S. railway system, who knows what it would actually look like? Yeah. And I like the I kind of think it'd be cool to take the show into a different time period altogether. Mm-hmm. And it uh, and then I when I mentioned that, a lot of people that I talked to about it were like, well. I doubt there are any women police in... Yeah, that's what I said to you. In Yeah, you said that a couple other people did too when I was talking about it. And, the, and it kind of goes along with what... you. I just didn't have the... Like usual, Tim, you found a way to say it and I can't. But the <laughs> idea was in my brain. Um, they might look at a different side of the law. Like mm-hmm. the true detectives in this case might be a thematic true detectives. They might be two women that are like looking for their husbands that were sold into slavery to build right. the railroads. Or they might be women that were raped by a crazy occultist something you know they they might be detectives not in the, the sense that they carry a, a badge and a gun but that they, but are, they, are they want to get to the bottom yeah. of some story have they said where it's going to be like where it's going to be located where no no okay. they even said they literally all that's been said is that one sentence yeah that okay. uh, Pizzolatto said so a Pizzolatto uh, I think uh, I just wonder if they go like big city or if they keep it kind of rural. Yeah, and and I said that too. I said there might there might have been a few women cops in like big city in like mm-hmm. Manhattan in the the 1900s maybe. Uh, but and certainly it would be interesting because I have a I have two books that uh, there was this book called The Alienist and the sequel called The Angel of Darkness, which were period uh, cop books that I I can't believe I hadn't thought of until just now in regards to this. But they're amazing books. They're some of my favorites. I've read both of them a couple times. And there's a character who's a woman detective or she's like she's a cop. I don't know if she's a detective. I think she is. Um and she's like the only one in the city of New York. And as a result she she frequently gets like cat calls and like uh other crap from the other men detectives. She's treated like a like a second class citizen. And it's really fun to read her interactions with uh some of the men. But anyway I, it just kind of got my mind thinking about how you could have some really cool built-in examination of the way women were treated, in, in which I think is always hilarious to watch. Like uh, when you when you see like the way women are treated in period movies, it's so hysterical. Like, like man, this is awesome to think that the world used to be this. I mean, it's not actually awesome, but it's it's awesome to watch. <laughs> or like nineteen sixties Reed Richards, like oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah when, you, when you read old Marvel comics, they're just awesome. When they were yeah, Daredevil slaps you on the butt. And she, <laughs> And yeah, there's there's hilarious stuff like that that you're like, oh my god, this is pathetic. This is the way the world used to be. And you see some of it in Mad Men, certainly. Yeah, Mad Men. When men treat Joan like shit, and Don would be like, hey, like, or or Roger, (laughs) you know, they step up because they actually know her, and then they they don't necessarily think like that. So it's it's interesting, and it would also play with the notion of what people can get away with based on what the parameters of the system, which is what Alex was saying about season one so far that these I was just doing my job, and Mm -hmm. the whole. I don't want to get into a whole thing here, but the 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 way that that religious institution now is constructed is in a way that allows priests to get away with sketchy shit, yeah. as we've seen. And, and they say, "Oh, but he's atoned for it now; <laughs> like it's yeah. fine." And, they, and I'm not. I don't want to. And then they move him to another church, and then he does it again. Right. Yeah. And 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 obviously, we could have a whole another hour and a half discussion about what this show is saying about religion and, yeah. and established institutions like that. Hell, Rust, one of my favorite scenes in the series is when they're standing under the big Revival Church tent and the dialogue between Rust and uh, and Hart is absolutely hilarious <laughs> and awesome. 
and uh, and on point. And I, I think that if season two is a is a period show that revolves around two women, it could do it could you know ex- look under that rock too, and it might be really interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of what I want to see, and I I think you know based on the evidence that's in place that that could be. This is one time where I think I'll be a little bit bummed out if I'm wrong. If I'm like, oh, it's in 1980s Miami about two women, I'll be like, hmm. Transportation's really broad. It is. It could be, it could be, there's a few different ways. It could be the ghost from Ghostbusters. No, it could absolutely be subway networks too. (laughs) could subway. They're dealing with the ooze. Yeah. Old old train system. Yeah, no, subways are really creepy too. I mean, and there's, there's tons that could be done there but there's yeah. something about railroads that's so so American. period and scary yeah. <laughs> and american and big big business where yeah. it's kind of uh uh hell on wheels i've never deals, seen that deals with that a lot i've only watched the first like four episodes but even within that there was tons of like you know slaves working on, on the railways and like because okay. it's such big business cole meany's character is kind of a villain but i think he might end up i don't, I don't know what to but like someone will be like you're not allowed to do that and he just shoves like a little little pouch of gold and they're like okay and he's like this is railroads in a week we're gonna have you know another 50 miles of track laid and no one can stop us type thing and it i mean that was a time in history where they were literally like murdering tribes of indians <laughs> yeah with, with like extreme prejudice to get them out of the way they're like yeah. we can either buy them or slaughter them yeah and you saw these <laughs> what are you doing phone <laughs> it really wants us to stop I uh you know, literally, then there were there were there were nations of people selling each other out, like right. it, just for a, a buck. And either you, if you can't beat them, join them, like mentality. So I think if, if getting into that would be a really amazing place for this 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 person's storytelling ability to go. I'm thinking a little bit more, even um, post the expansion. Uh, for some reason, this rang the bell of the counselor in my mind, where they talk about I, spoilers for the counselor, but who cares? Um, the I scene, the scene with Leguizamo, where they get the body in the barrel, and they're just like, "Oh, they sent it here because right, they sent yeah. the body." Maybe like putting rape you victims see it. and listening to our episode. It's one of my favorites. Putting rape victims on a train, and they just get completely lost, mm-hmm. and there's no way, like, or murder victims they just or whatever. Sweep it under the rug. Yeah, like getting it somewhere else, and then there's absolutely like no way for anybody to figure out how to do anything about it. And that could be another kind of, you know. Well, and the the ending of True Detective of season one reminded me kind of thematically. Well, there's the the line of "Yes, me, the darkness is winning," or "The light is winning." It was kind of in, heavily influenced by that line from the Alan Moore comic. Yeah, but I also thought of the ending of Watchmen, where Rust prepares these seven different packages of every copies of literally yeah. everything oh, yeah. Yeah. and he goes if, if you don't hear from me within 24 hours you send these all and then you lay low i'm like that's the ending of watchmen <laughs> like that's what rorschach does is he throws that he throws that journal through the news slot because he knows he's basically going on a on a suicide mission and then it ends with the guy saying i leave it entirely up to you and, and the kid going for the bin of of bullshit and you're like "Ooh, do, do they run it do they expose it all is it worth destroying the whole system for one man you know what i mean and true detective kind of asked that question because there's this whole enormous religious inst- this institution that does have some good things about it, certainly. Like, if it provides money to schools and all that, but if it's founded on these dark, scary things, is it worth destroying the whole tree because there's a little bit of rotten root at the bottom, yeah. you know what I mean? It kind of asks that same question. I think we, at, watching the show, we're all like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, tear it down. <laughs> but uh, we're also viewing it kind of from Russ's perspective. 
because mm-hmm. heart is like you don't understand you're not from around here like you can't you can't go anywhere within 50 miles without everybody telling you they they believe in religion of some kind and yeah. us, it's just totally anti-religion i think as people from from the northern part of the country and and slightly uh you know, more along Russ's line of thinking than Hart's. We kind of relate more to Russ, but I'm sure it, it'd be curious to talk to somebody who's from the South about this show, and because they'd probably be like, that's absolutely what yeah. it's like around here. And if you, when you go after, because they, they, they treat the tu- uh, Tuttle, Ed, Ed Tuttle, yeah. Yeah. they treat him like he's fucking God. Like, the, mm-hmm. the people in the town. And Russ is like, okay, he's just a dude. Like, what do you, why do you people worship him? Yeah. And I'm sure that, I mean, that, that's not entirely removed Russell from reality. From, Russ was from Texas, right? His character was from yeah. Texas. Yeah. So, yeah, he was from, he was from the South, too. To maintain yeah. that kind of. But not, like, deep yeah. hoodoo-y stuff. I was just curious. I was just trying to remember where. No, yeah, he was from Texas. Yeah. So, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. It's almost like a different part of the world. I mean, it is a different part of the world. But uh, it, it's very culturally even different from up right. here. So. It'd be funny to see, like, a viewing map of True Detective and see all the people that turned it off after the first episode in the South. <laughs> They going after the governor. <laughs> yeah, this guy's an atheist. Yeah, that's just why uh, this is totally off topic. This, this is a really. A, I think this is a nice uh, balanced no, no, representation no, no. of the South <laughs> you right you, now. You don't. Even, you don't even know where this is going because I was watching a oh, video on on Reddit that was shit. Steve Harvey says. Yeah. And he is the most bigoted, disgusting person that I have ever <laughs> seen in my life. It's You're horrible. right. I did. Steve know Harvey, I was the comedian. Going. Steve Harvey, the comedian slash game show host. Why, that saddens me. Can I ask a question though? Why did it go to Steve Harvey? Is he from the South? Oh no! It's just I was just thinking about people like because he says <laughs> he says he says something about like I you know I don't even know what the atheists are about because if they say that if they say they're an atheist then I just walk away from them because uh, where's your moral compass? <laughs> okay. Says the guy who's cheated on three different wives. <laughs> oh yeah. We're getting into it now. Anyway, I apologize. Hashtag true dicks. Yeah. Steve Harvey. Sorry, I just, uh, that was my, I, I no, wasn't no, no, following no, no. Steve Harvey. That was, that was, that was I'm my, I'm always happy when Steve Harvey shows up. This tangential BS that <laughs> sprung out of my brain. No, I mean, it, 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 it kind of relates to yeah. what we're saying. No, not, no, tell not, me, tell not, me not. now that I've followed it, yeah. Okay. Anyway. That's why I think a, a bit of a period uh, examination could be interesting, because they showed like this the symptom, as I said earlier, and it'd be interesting to kind of go back and see the, root the roots. The problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the underlying, the actual cause. Roots. Roots. What? I don't know. Thank you for joining us. For this <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening to our bonus episode about True Detective. Sorry we didn't have a normal episode out this week. Uh, I'm hoping we'll have something out next week. Tim, did you wait before... Did, you did you say I forgot like where you want the show to go? Do you not care? You just want to no. Go? I just wanted to keep dealing with the kind of deeper questions that it dealt with, basically. In the you don't season. necessarily want it to go the occult route, but if someone if someone else does like a mechanologue, I'll be happy. Okay, like if they so if they give someone else that's, a long winded philosophical rant, and that's that's right. something that I I think it's going to be very interesting to see yeah. who they pick as the two leads. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think having those two high profile people not. And maybe that's interesting. Maybe that's the initial buy-in to the show, and now they they have the ability to go with lesser-known people because they have this established of oh yeah. I think I put it right. Maybe not a monologue like that, but some you know what I mean. Like continue to yeah no like it. to continue you to expunge upon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> basically what I want is the show to be good. And I think well, obviously, that. I don't know. <laughs> if it's shitty, I'm gonna stop watching. So. I don't know, I'm damn curious. I mean, uh, it doesn't have to go the way the way I would like it to. I'm, I'm down, even if modern, or if it's about two cops on the moon in the future. Like, <laughs> bring it on. Played by, played <laughs> by <laughs> Rockwell's. Played by the uh, the by, by Daft Punk. Um, 
Yes, please. <laughs> Season like two, what, what if he, the, he just goes for it? He's like, I had a, a hit show. This one's not <laughs> yeah, death on. There are two space detectives. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to fly through the portal and <laughs> see what's, what's there. Oh man, they can they can survive Carcosa because they're robots. Yes, yes, I can see the headline now. True Detective. There's a big, this is its final season. <laughs> There's a big musical number halfway through with Pharrell. <laughs> Pharrell shows up. They fly in a giant Pharrell hat ship. Yes. All right, this is totally powered by love. Yes. All right. Uh... There are four people in Michigan watching this show, and that's it. <laughs> and the nation of France. Um. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Glad we could get a bonus episode out this this month. Uh, this was I, fun. We, we should definitely do this with Rubicon when you watch it, Tim. Totally. Right. I'd like All to right. do a like a bi episode Rubicon show, but I don't know. Yes, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, still on Prime, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's the only place it is. Okay. Yeah, except for my hard drive. <clears throat> um. No, uh, yeah, we still need to do our, our John Hughes retrospective. It kind of sucks that I've continued to put it off and that it hasn't occurred. How, which ones you got left? What movies you got left? I don't know. It's not that I haven't watched them. Oh, you just it's haven't just done it? We haven't, we haven't gotten around to recording it. Okay. So I thought you were still waiting on watching, um, like, because you can skip, like. No, I know. I didn't. Home we didn't. We didn't he, he's worked on so many movies that you know, Drillbit Taylor wasn't at the top. That was the one. That was the one I was going. Home Alone was yeah. the last one I thought of. Um, I'm Home Alone. <laughs> I next week I think we might be reviewing Need for Speed. I'm not entirely sure when it's gonna get recorded or anything yet, so I kind of regret saying that, but I'm gonna keep it in anyway. So look for something next week. At the very least we'll start getting a little more regular after that because the releases are starting to get stronger for the year, so um but yeah, I don't know. Uh thanks Aunt Miss John for music and artwork. Uh you can find us on Twitter at MFN Podcast, search for us on Facebook Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. We're also on Vine and Instagram. Um, write to us, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. And, uh, hey, my birthday is tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day that we release it. Or not tomorrow. Uh, Monday. Okay. Why don't you just say it's Monday? My birthday is March 17th. <laughs> on March 16th, I'm trying to coordinate an effort for everybody to review and rate the show on iTunes within a similar amount of time, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, daylight time so if you hear this and you haven't given us a rating or a review yet please go hop on iTunes and do that try to do it tomorrow uh, March 16th if you can uh, but yeah I don't know Kyle XY go watch True Dicks.